the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your fantastic hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Well, mediocre at best. (laughs) We're glad you're listening today. This show is brought to you by the Matthews Hope Foundation. We have a two-week detox and two years of free recovery coaching and aftercare included with anyone who completes our detox program. So if you or a loved one is struggling with any sort of substance use disorder, you'd like information about our program, maybe you are a therapist or a counselor in town and or even like clergy and you might know someone who possibly needs help with substance use disorder you can go to our website to find out lots of information about our program it is www.mhdrp.org or give us a call at 844 and hope that's 844 263 4673. But also, we have an outpatient clinic where we do recovery coaching, counseling, and IASIS, which is microcurrent neurofeedback. Do you guys do normal counseling or just substance abuse? All of it. All of it. Okay. And so, um, all of the counselings. Just different, yes, and even Christian counseling. So, we mm-hmm. uh, we have several different packages and different uh, a la carte things that It'd be cool if you guys what... had like tennis counseling. Tennis yeah, counseling? Tennis. We don't. Okay. You have really bad ideas sometimes. I know. But anyway, so as far as the outpatient clinic goes, you don't even have to have gone through our detox to enroll in services at our outpatient clinic. And so you can also call the 844 and HOPE number, but just press 2 for the outpatient clinic. Or you can call our our, uh, outpatient manager, Candace, at 346-980-3530. And let Candy Pants know that we told you to call them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because IASIS can help alleviate symptoms with for a plethora of conditions, not just substance use disorder. It's been shown to be effective with anxiety and depression. I started doing it, what, eight years sober, I think? Mm-hmm. And it really... For saw, your tinnitus? We always say that, but really, um, I had... Do you even know why you were doing it? Well, because you said to. <laughs> I listen. No, I, it, it actually cleared some things for me. I think that we have better discussions now. I don't, like, remember... How it used to be? Oh, yes, I do. We would have a discussion or a debate, and I would just like step all over you. I wouldn't let you talk. And that's sort of, I think, gotten way better. I and think it, so. It started with IASIS. And the IASIS, I used to leave there feeling so euphoric, so like it would just remove the anxiety of the day. It's been shown to help with less brain fog. Uh, it helps with sleep. It helps with insomnia, addiction, TBI, PTSD. Um, even fibro- fibromyalgia and different chronic pain, um, people that have had strokes come in to, to get IASIS to get some mobility back. And so all they got to do is call Candy Pants. Call Candace, 346-980-3530. As usual. You are listening to us in Houston on KPRC 950. Or you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's, it's free. Just give it a download, put it on your phone, and go to the KPRC 950 channel, uh, 1 p.m. Sundays Central uh, on Sundays. Later in the day, or they do uplate, upload us. Upload us. Well, you're like throwing stuff out. I know what to say. No. Um, I'm like Adam in the garden. It's her fault. 
Here, take this. It's tasty. (laughs) Later in the day, they do (laughs) upload us to our own podcast. I don't even know how that happened. Relevant Recovery Radio. (laughs) And uh, if you would like, you can follow us on social media at Relevant Recovery Radio. That's right. Okay. We want to continue like what we talked about last week, but I wanted to like just do a little check in and see where you I was a hero last night. I'm really tired today. Oh, so we had this giant storm oh my roll in last night. And That's what happens in the H. It was literally a sunny okay. I was headed out to it was James the end House. Of a perfect day. Not a cloud on the horizon. And, and at Fred left for Magnolia. Four PM. <laughs> it was ninety five degrees. Okay, and when I left 290, 20 minutes into Magnolia, it was 70. The wind was blowing 800 miles an hour, trees coming down. There was twisters, cows flying through the road. No. But But when I got home, you were already gone in Magnolia, and around 6, we lost power, and there was a crazy wind and rainstorm. It broke some big trees in our neighborhood. Um, I was fishing our trash can and potted plants out of our pool and Which hot is, tub. You're I've welcome. I've been cleaning that since last night. It's going to be just lovely for the next day or two. It was crazy because we just didn't have power. and uh, We didn't get power back till this morning around 7. Yeah, so we had no power all night. But we did have a generator because you, thankfully, came home to rescue your damsel in distress that had That's no right. power. Yeah, I came home, plugged the generator in, and so we are fortunate. We do I, we purchase that. Well, our power in our area is not really that good. It's so. not consistent. Um, I plugged that in and the no sleep thing, it wasn't really that hot in the house last night because we had fans on. We, we can't run the AC on the generator, but we can run pretty much everything else. Um, but I get this like weird protector thing that kicks in. Like I pulled, now I don't put my gun on the nightstand because there was one time many years ago that I woke up and the gun was in my hand. Wow. Yeah, I don't do that. But I put it on the dresser, like out and ready to go, like get in defensive mode, um, I turned all the lights in the backyard on because I have these fears that either somebody's going to come in my backyard and steal the generator. So all or... this was happening while I was asleep? I sat on the back patio and read my book <laughs> until around midnight or one oh. after doing an initial cleanup of the disaster area that was our <laughs> pool in our backyard. And um, yeah, and, and so I'm finally like, okay, I got to get try and get some sleep. I think I'd come in at some point and you're like, hey, you need to get some sleep. I, I, I know. So I, I was able to sleep pretty much, but there's that there's those thoughts of okay, is the generator still running? Do I need to check it? Is everything safe? Like that just kind of kicks in, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I'm glad you have that instinct and that protective man mode or whatever it is because I don't have it. Number one, but when we moved into that house two years ago, um, it was the day after before the ice storm mm-hmm. of 2021. Oh gosh, and that was a rough week. So, and so you went out like 4 a.m. to go get a generator. You didn't have the right wire, so you spliced a wire to make it plug into all, like, and it was just great because you took care of everything. <laughs> you went out and made sure we had gasoline for it. The fireplace was on, me and the dog were warm. Yeah. And uh, ju- I just think men are ingrained in, in their DNA to be like providers and protectors. This is where you've heard people say that in, uh, in a traditional marriage that men and women are equal but different. Yeah. You know, because where I have my roles, you have yours, and we complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, yin and yang. That's right. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're going to pick it back up today talking about sobriety and marriage. Uh, We'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hi. Yeah, so today we're going to pick it up from last week because... Are you married to an alcoholic? We, well, we were on a track and we listened to the show today to kind of say, okay, where were we? What do we need to pick up? I and mean, we were kind of a little bit all over. Um, no. But I think what was clear or what we did get across is that if you are married to someone you suspect to be an alcoholic, what, what can you do to help them? Uh, whether that be an uncomfortable conversation, consequences, uh, boundaries. And then what we sort of started to touch on was we really kind of dove into relationships, but then we touched a little bit on what does early recovery look like? How can the non-alcoholic support the alcoholic? And what is the... I wanted to touch on that a little bit more today because one thing that I see a lot, in fact, I sponsor some guys whose wives are very... I have to be careful with my Controlling. words. Look, here's the thing. When you're early in recovery, you need to do what it takes to stay sober. Yeah. When I'm brand new in a 12-step fellowship, and I don't have the solution yet. The solution is working all 12 steps, which means going through 1 through 11 and beginning to sponsor others. That's all 12 steps. But prior to having that awakening of your spirit, prior to those changes that happen... If you have to go to a meeting a day, you have to go to a meeting a day, right? And, and so I have, I've sponsored guys whose wives sort of place this requirement on them. Like, you know, you were gone while you were drunk and blah, 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 blah. And I don't want you home at, with me now. Yeah, I don't want you at meetings more than two nights a week. Or I don't, and I'm sorry, but sometimes it takes seven. It takes seven nights a week. It takes, I need to find my tribe, get to know my tribe, be around my tribe. I need to be around people that have already figured out how to be sober and start learning everything I can. Because it wasn't just learning how to be sober early on for me. It was learning how to be sober, learning how to live life, learning how to treat people. And it was the dumb little things, right? I used to have this Wednesday night meeting, and there was eight or ten of us. The meeting was at 8. At 9 p.m., we would head to the local Denny's. You know, it's a fine food establishment. Oh, yeah. And we would all go eat, and sometimes we would be there an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Mm -hmm. Now, that may look like, hey, you're leaving me, the spouse, at home to go do your thing. But, but here's what was really going on. We were talking about steps, sobriety, challenges. God. They were teaching me how to act in public. I remember one time Anna, my friend Anna, was like, hey, Donnie, could you stop cutting everybody off when they're talking? Now that hasn't been we resolved in ten we years, but that tool up yeah. in ten years, but that's fine. <laughs> I said that for candy pants. I think that bothers her sometimes. But there was so much going on because I had no idea how to live life, and I needed to be around a tribe that could teach me. It mm -hmm. takes a village in the beginning, and that was for me. That was what was great about sober living. A lot of times, people think, "Oh, I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to get sober, and I'm going to go back home." And they think sober living is for people that are homeless and don't have homes. But I can't tell you how beneficial it is, even if you have a home. What to, if you're married? To, even if you're married, even if you have a home, it's so beneficial to not go home after treatment, but to go to sober living for three to six months successfully, where you stay sober, you work the steps, there's accountability, but also much more important than that, you are living with and surrounded by your peers who are all working towards the same thing. Do you think that helps 
can help or hurt a marriage? Like, what do you think the effect is on a marriage? I think marriage... initially the spouse, if they don't understand what's happening, um, will feel left or isolated or rejected or resentful that, mm-hmm. okay, you now you're going to go live somewhere else. Our marriage is over, but that's not the case. This oftentimes we need to learn how to live life. We need to learn how to do chores or be accountable to others or communicate better. What about if you got kids uh, though? Or, I'm just saying. Like you got three kids at home and so the husband goes off to sober living and leaves the wife with three kids for... Uh, it doesn't know. mean you won't see them. You can still work a full-time mm-hmm. job. You can still have visitation on you know, nights and weekends or, <laughs> or just as long as you're not missing your accountability meetings. Right. Um, it's, and, and, but it's I want to say this though because sometimes you just can't. Sometimes right. you can't. If you're married, right. you got kids, you may not be able to do sober living, but... But it does no good to say, oh, I can't do sober living, and you go immediately home, and you don't have the disciplines in place, and then you're drinking again anyways or doing drugs again anyways, then you're really still not showing up for your family. It doesn't matter right. that you're home. Nothing's been solved. Nothing. Right. And so it's a rinse and repeat. you got to go back to treatment. Okay, now are you willing to go to sober living? Because I always say, I, I watch the statistics of success, mm-hmm. and... Working all 12 steps and sponsoring other people is really the, the, the tipping point of success for most people, 99%. Yeah. But also, in a general sense, going to sober living for three to six months successfully, where you're through the 12 steps and sponsoring other people and have that spiritual foundation, once you complete that and do that well, then you can go anywhere and live anywhere, and now you know what to do. Okay, so that's the fantasy or the dream or the, the best scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's talk about... Uh, and we're going to use wife, husband here because it's, I see it a lot and you, you can use the opposite because you see it a lot. But what I see a lot uh, as a man in a 12-step fellowship who sponsors men is a lot of the wife at home, three kids, does not want her husband out two, three, four, five nights a week, doesn't want him to fellowship, doesn't want, they want him home all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say, okay, Susan, how well has that control worked for you so far? Right. How's your marriage going? Right. How sober has he been under your control? Do you think the alcoholic has the right to suggest Al-Anon to the spouse who's already been put through the ringer by the alcoholic? Sure. I think that they might find it insulting if they don't understand what it is. Um, but if they really did understand how how it could benefit their own life, they would realize that it, they shouldn't be insulted by it. Here's what we say in our fellowship all the time. Um, you'll hear people say, I am a grateful alcoholic. I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic. And when you're first in, you're like, okay, this is BS. I don't, this guy's grateful that you drank yourself here. But what happens is is that once you're there for a while and you have these tools for life and you start really getting a relationship with a power greater than yourself and that power starts really attacking ego and selfishness and, and it starts to diminish and you start being useful and helpful to others, suddenly you go, what if everybody could do this? But then the wife is like, great, you're helpful to others, but what about me? Right. right. And it's if that person was in Al-Anon with a sponsor and the tools from that program, they would realize that that's also selfish. Mm-hmm. It's a self-centered desire. Well, they're still trying to control the alcohol Out of a marriage. Yeah, they're still you know? trying to control the alcohol. And it's like, really, we're supposed to be so spiritually uh, solid that we're okay internally, no matter what someone else does or says externally, because we can't control other people, period. So what does that time look like? So um, me, we'll just use me. So I either go to a 30-day or I don't. I go straight into a 12-step fellowship. They're telling me, hey, you need to go to a meeting every day if you need to. Like, whatever it takes, we want you here. We want you to become part of this family. We need You have to now find your tribe and be a part of mm-hmm. 
What does that look like for the spouse at home? What is that? Well, the spouse at home could join in Al-Anon or open scenarios and fellowship scenarios that are open to Al-Anon along with their partner. But I think that here's the deal. Uh, I got a call from a girl the other day who was on her way to go meet with a sponsee. But the sponsee's husband wanted to sit in on it. Oh. The sponsee's husband wanted to be present to, to see what work and, and so he could learn more about it. So it wasn't controlling, it was education. It was controlling. Oh, okay. Under the disguise of educational. Oh, and, sneaky. Uh, and so um, I advised this girl to let the spouse know that we absolutely want to educate and help and that we would be willing to talk with or meet with privately or get the spouse hooked up with Al-Anon. Or, or maybe the three of us can go have a cup of coffee, but yeah. you got no place the, in our sponsorship the, work. The sponsor-sponsee work is private one-on-one. The spouse is absolutely never allowed to be present for any of that, period. Right, right. Um, because then the spouse wouldn't feel, uh, you know, the alcoholic would not be able to be comfortable and honest nine yeah. times out of ten. Because right. um, you really got to let your darkness out and be able to be transparent with a sponsor. I remember being six months sober, and I was it was probably the second time in a week I was going to go do fellowship. And I remember texting my ex-wife, and I was like, hey, we're going to go to Denny's. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I feel bad because I wasn't around when I was drinking, and now I'm not around. And she said, it's okay because when you are around, I get a better you. Mm-hmm. Eh, it didn't work out in the long run, but... Uh, <laughs> But, For different reasons. But that was the way to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so don't go anywhere. When we come right back, we're going to work on Heather's defects of character. Good we'll be right l- back with Relevant luck. Recovery Radio. <laughs> Welcome back to Relevant Recovery. I want to come back like this. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio you're with your e- host. You're easy listening on a Sunday. That's right. Heather and Donnie Mosier. All right. Um, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're just going to break Heather down. Um, <laughs> we're just going to really Tuesday. look for all her defects and try and fix her live on the air. Because here, here's what I want, because we're going to shift gears and talk about double Sobe, where both people in, in the marriage are sober. In a program of recovery, but because that happens a lot, because uh, you and I were already sober when we met, mm-hmm. but then we got married, and we know other people that are in that same boat, or you know, people that get sober together, or I know certain people in the twelve step world, they would be like, I would never date someone in a twelve step fellowship, you know, and, and we're the opposite, and I'm the opposite. I would only want to marry or date someone in the same form of recovery yeah. I'm in because of the lifestyle we choose to, and it can work either way. There's not a right or a wrong. It's just a personal preference. But I would say the amount of involvement you and I have in the 12-step program, Mm -hmm. it really works for us because we're both very involved. So nobody's really left out. We're always pretty busy. Right. And I think that you and I, so like when we got together and got married, you were about five years sober. I was just under two years sober. Well, when we got to, we started dating, I was around five years sober and then we got married, what, a year and a half later? Something something like like that. that. But I think that for you and I, you've always done the 12 step fellowshipping meeting stuff more than me. Yeah. Always. That's just. I'm an extrovert. Yes. And I'm not very much introvert. And, uh, and so I have my certain meetings I go to. You go to more than I do. Yeah, you go to one. <laughs> right so now, but I used to. Was that, was that hard to count to? 
certain meeting. I'm I'm trying to be general because it's changed over the years. It has, sometimes yeah. we go to more. Sometimes when you first came to Houston, I drug you all around town. You hated it. Yeah, and so I have my home group, and I go to that meeting. Uh, I carry the message into a treatment center once a month. Mm-hmm. I usually have two, three, four girls in the book at a time, mm-hmm. so I meet with sponsees. Definitely work the program. There's and, no doubt about that. And so, but I have found my balance and my groove. And at times we get really unbalanced. We have to recalibrate, you know. But usually me. Usually you. You've always done more than me. And I've always done more than I should. And and that's yes. not, by the way, that's not a humble brag or a brag. No, you get yourself in a burnout position yes. when you operate the way you operate. Yeah. But you really feed off the energy of being around other people. And I feed off, today I do feed off the energy of helping others. Like I've been given a gift that has put me in a position to have a life that I never thought I could ever have. And I think that I have found my balance of what works well. And that doesn't mean that's what will always work well for me. If I get spiritually sick or in restless, irritable discontent again, that means I need to recalibrate spiritually somewhere. And that may mean more meetings or more responses or whatever at the time. So do you remember our agreement when we first got together, what the priorities were? Uh Uh-uh. When we got together and started dating, we agreed... So this is going to be... Oh, yeah, yeah. That God and and the 12 steps come first. Priority one is God. Mm -hmm. Priority two is the 12-step fellowship we belong to. Mm -hmm. And priority three is each other. Yeah. How have we stuck to that? I think well, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think that people listening might be in shock to hear that. Like, I'm, I'm so solid that it's healthy for me to tell my spouse that you come third, <laughs> you know, right. Um, right. because if, because without the first if two, you don't come third, if I put you higher up on the totem pole, uh, all hell will break loose. This will not go good for either right. one of us. If I put you above God or the fellowship, the the 12-step program we belong to, mm-hmm. then the guy that you get is not real good. But I will say when you have double Sobe, like me and you, there is a tendency um, to overshare. And you and I early on would talk about how you do this step or how you do a nightly or all this. And, and there's times where we would learn from each push other. Push our opinions on each other. But there other. was other times where we would push our opinion and, yeah. instead of letting that be separate. And so each couple has to decide for themselves and calibrate what, what that looks like because it's not good to constantly take the inventory of your spouse. Well, So let's go back to the three priorities. Mm-hmm. God, the group, us, mm-hmm. which by the way, plays into so many different spiritual theories that they all should look that way. But yeah. what's what's been our pitfalls over the years? Like, where do you think we've fallen short of that? What do you mean? Where, where do you think we've fallen? I mean, we can't come on here and be like, hey, everything's great. We have always had these priorities. Like, where have we fallen short? What's the honesty uh, behind that? What's really happened at times? Am I talking about where I fall short or you fall short? Either way. I'll point at you first. Okay. That's normal. <laughs> I think because we've already kind of touched on it that you do too much sometimes. Yeah. And so if we add in 12 steps and we add in sponsorship and we add in meetings and then we add in church and ministry and all of that, mm-hmm. like if they listen to Are You an Alcoholic, Married to an Alcoholic Part 1 last week, like um, I'm home a lot without you. Yeah. Um, and normally some of the pitfalls have been where I will get jealous and so I will text you and make you feel guilty or try to get you to come home sooner. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't do that. You'll be well, home when you want to be home. Well, but to be fair, I'm I'm out a lot. Yeah, but that's up for you to navigate and decide between you and God. Yeah. It, it does no good if I force you to be home with me. Cool, I won. What spiritual price did I pay for winning? Right, right. I and don't want to play that game either. I, I would agree with you that the thing that we've done semi-consistent, not well, 
I think that we've practiced well and done semi-consistent is put God in the middle of our relationship, Mm -hmm. which is new for me. And I think that's really what's behind the success of our relationship thus far is that um, we do have uh, the same belief. We practice that belief together. Mm -hmm. And separately. And separately. Um, that our 12-step fellowship does come first. You don't ever stop me from doing something for that. I don't and stop you. I think you. That that's one thing that we do really well is when it comes to the 12-step of a meeting or sponsor-sponsee meetings and all of that, I don't think we really ever argue around feeling neglected by the other when it comes to that. I think where I probably uh, probably skirt the line of neglect is, you know, going and hanging out with my church guys and having a cigar or um, when I go out to that Thursday night meeting, staying way too late at times, mm-hmm. right? So there are times that I definitely skirt that line. There's no doubt about it. And so I think I, I fall short uh, where my priority is God the 12 steps, and then you, uh, at some point, I think sometimes the fellowship comes before you, maybe. That's where I fall short. And I think that, to just for a disclaimer for people listening, though, early on, the first several years of someone's recovery, that might actually be necessary. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying my husband is 10 years sober. He should have recalibrated a little bit better than now. And so what that tells me is that uh, sometimes your pride and ego feed off of the attention of the people you're around. It'll make you feel better about yourself by being around a certain caliber of person rather than being uncomfortable just being a husband at home dealing with me. And I so, want to argue with that so bad, but I don't think I can. Because I'm right. <laughs> like when I go to, and let's talk about that for a second, because that was, um, I guess I'm not really ashamed to say it, uh, that was part of the downfall of my last marriage. Mm-hmm is that at that time now I was also in a motorcycle club, but I was very much into our fellowship. And I went to seven meetings a week, almost two years into my sobriety, which I did not need. No. Uh, I was sponsoring men. I was... Disclaimer, once you get through the 12 steps and sponsor, you shouldn't really be in a position where you need a meeting. You go to give, not to get, not to be a taker. Right. Only a sick newcomer is a taker, and that's fine. We want to be there for that. But the goal is to work the 12 At steps. At some point you shift. <laughs> and it shifts to where I don't need a meeting I go to serve. I remember my, my first sponsor, John, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still hitting seven meetings a week and I'm doing all this stuff. And he's like, so let me ask you something. He says, you know, when you, do you need these, first of all? And I'm like, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't have an answer. And he says, all right, cool. So when you go into that meeting, do you know what to do, how to act and what to say? I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he goes, cool. He goes, and when your sponsor guys, you know what to do? I was like, yeah. He goes, cool. He goes, so how about being at home? Do you know how to be a husband? And that was like a brick to the face because legit, I didn't know how to be a husband. I had no clue what that even looked like. And so that's true for almost everybody newly sober. Like the idea is the reason that I hung out with all those women and lived in sober living is they were teaching me how to be a woman, how to have grace and dignity and respect and how to carry myself and how Mm -hmm. to have integrity with my word and the right priorities. I needed that time to Mm -hmm. learn. And now I don't need all that time with them anymore. Now I can apply it at home with my partner. Yeah. But you struggled to cross that bridge from from the hanging out and learning to apply it back home. And I've always I, I'm I'm like constantly trying to rein my calendar in and put less stuff on the calendar. And so what I do to fix that is yell at you about your calendar. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Because <laughs> you do more than me and then you're mad about my calendar. Yeah. How dare you schedule something when I wanted to do something? <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah, I think that schedules is a is an area that we have definitely time struggled. Management. Time management, quality time. I I still don't even know what that looks like. I still struggle with it. Yeah, I still struggle with it. I don't know if I stay home with you and we have nothing going on. What do we do? Swim in the pool, watch TV, read. This sounds foreign. But what we don't do is like things I would like to do with some organizations like rip out a bathroom, remodel something like, but because we don't ever have, have large, you been drinking? No, large chunks of time together. Like our time together is very minimal. Um, yeah, it is. And uh, compared to probably most people that go home to their spouse every day. We legit get uh, Saturday afternoons and Sundays. No, that, that's really. No, we get Sunday eve- Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Oh, you or wow. I are gone other than that. Period. Oh wow! I had no idea. When did that start? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. So okay, when we come back, let's talk about dispute resolution. Like, what does that look like in a marriage? Um, and then we're going to talk about Heather just called me out about. It, I guess I don't know. <laughs> don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant. <laughs> Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with your hosts Heather and Donnie Mosier. Who are we doing this for? Matthew's Help. What? Matthew's Help Foundation. We have a two-week detox and two years of recovery coaching, IASIS, and aftercare. If you or a loved one would like any information, go to our website mhdrp.org or give us a call at eight four four two six three four six seven three or three four six nine eight zero thirty five thirty. Okay. So being married to an alcoholic as an alcoholic, mm-hmm. I, I first of all, I think it's been fun. We have tools that other couples don't have. That's what makes us unique being double soby together yeah. is that because we have the tools around character defects and inventory and sponsorship and all this different spiritual guidance where the focus is where am I the problem? Mm. Where are my mistakes? Let's focus on that for a minute. <laughs> my uh, blames, my wrongs, my mistakes. Yes, that's... yes, preach. Where are all your problems? Let's, let's get <laughs> it out. Just FYI, if you're not familiar with the 12-step program, when you work a 12-step program under the guidance of a sponsor, the whole thing is about my own personal faults, blames, wrongs, mistakes, character defects, so I can correct them spiritually with God's help. And that, I believe me and the audience are all waiting for you to begin starting that. <laughs> let's go. Okay. So let's start with your selfishness. And so I'm just saying that we enter this marriage with uh, two different you know, foundations individually that I did not have. I didn't have it personally, and I didn't have it in my other marriages. Not just the seeking yeah. God, but the awareness of my fallible nature and my self-centered ideas and, and actions. Um, most people don't go through their day looking for their own self-centeredness. And, um, and here's the way to describe it. Um, <laughs> in, in eight, eight or 12 steps you do. Yeah. So you're on uh, you're on the I-10 freeway here in Houston, or your freeway, wherever you are. <clears throat> and you're out in traffic and you're, you're clipping along and somebody cuts you off. Mm-hmm. But it's been a great day. You're listening to your favorite show, and you just really shrug it off. You don't care. Mm-hmm. Two days later, you're in the same spot. Somebody cuts you off, and you want to chase them four miles past your exit to let them know how angry you are. So what's the difference in that situation? Well, it's me. It's Someone's internal. Someone's internal condition. And that's the way life is, and that's what we look at. And I'm at. saying the 12-step fellowship gives you different awareness around that. Like, 
um, when I go buy groceries and I put the groceries in my car and then I have the shopping <laughs> cart, like like if I ever actually did that. Yeah, I do sometimes. You, okay. So, you and I shop separately usually because that's <laughs> where we live separate lives. Right. So she lives in the bread section and- I uh, like carbs. <laughs> I take all the carbs. 11 carbs for the week. But no, seriously, um, I have this awareness that I am a selfish piece of crap. If I don't go put the cart in the corral, like God is nudging me to do. But other yeah. people that don't have that spiritual walk, they have no conviction about it. They'll just park it right on the curb or next to another car next to them. And they leave and they don't they don't have that awareness. Even when my phone rings and it's someone I'm not eager to talk to, someone who doesn't have this awareness would just think, oh, I don't want to talk to them right now. And they just don't and answer. Just, and they just go on. Or they don't answer a text. I or they don't. feel my selfishness so bad. Why didn't you answer them? You're missing an opportunity God just gave you. How could you be of service to them? Because you have How that. How can you love them? You have that conscious connection to a power greater than that you. That is what the twelve steps provide someone that change from the inside out. And so, if you're living with someone who's getting sober, or, you know, and all that, yeah, we all know that they've been super selfish for a long time. They don't know it fully yet. Right. <laughs> they have to be immersed in the program and the fellowship for a while to start gaining traction on awareness of their own flaws. And and so in our marriage. Right. So we, we both practice, and I, I stress the word practice, the 12 steps. We do the best we can. Uh, I don't know that we ever do it well. We just keep doing. There are certain tools and certain things that you can do to um, get to the truth. Get to the truth. Figure out what the problem is. Uh, remove the anger, remove the selfishness, remove the fear. And there's been a couple of things that have plagued us or that plagued us from, let's say, mid-2018 getting together in a relationship through really, I think... 2021? 2020? 22, probably, close mm. to it. Maybe, yeah, the end of 21. And so those were finances mm -hmm. and my anger. Yeah. So finances, right? So you are an amazing accountant. And what I mean by that is when we got together, I had built up $77,000 worth of credit debt because that's how I was <laughs> making myself feel better, buying Selfish. stuff. Um, and within two years, you had that paid off. Sure did. And you have kept us on a budget. We have never been without. We've always got money. In the, like, you're just amazing with it. But you uh, gave up control and let me have control of all of that to make it happen for two years. But what would happen is that every month, you wanted to make sure <laughs> that I that you knew what I was doing, and we didn't communicate right well. Well, well and so here's what it would be like: Hey, um, I want to sit down and like go over the budget with you. I'm like, and, and every I'm like after a point, I'm dreading it. I'm like, oh lord. I mean, I don't. You know what? I, I don't. Maybe this is the day. I don't know. <laughs> so we sit down, and what you really want to do is just inform me. I want you to absorb it so you know what I know. But I think you want me involved. I do not. Not at all. And so shh, I've shh, I've gosh. like making suggestions. <laughs> I'm suggesting spreadsheets, and it erupted in anger and argument every, every single time. And so what happened? What happened? What really happened for us was that in the end of 21, we began tithing our church, and actually by mistake, we began tithing a full 10. percent Yeah, God corrected me accidentally on that. <laughs> I think in like December of 21, we tithe five percent, and then in January you tithe five percent, but then accidentally there was an auto payment and it did the full ten percent, and we said just That's leave it. That's what was it. funny is because my 
conscience was fighting, my selfishness was fighting against doing the 10. And, and, and I forgot about the auto and paid it manual, so it paid it double. And then I was like, okay, God, okay. But, here, but here's what happened. <laughs> I get it. But here's what happened. <laughs> what happened was is that by giving away... 10% of our money. See, this really, everybody is like, I ain't going to give the church no money. Give it to anyone. Give in it the to, end? It doesn't matter where. Yeah. In the end, it had nothing to do with church. Where? It had nothing to do with where. It had here's to do what it had to do with. I was with. willing to let go of the control of it and give it to God. But here's what it had to do with. I loved money. And as long as I was spending our money on what I wanted, we were fine. Because you had the mentality, I work hard, I earn it, I get to use it. And But when we would sit down and go over budget, I would nitpick everything you spent mm-hmm. while I was spending $500 a month on cigars. Yeah. Okay. 500 Well, sometimes <laughs> it might have been a little more. That's the target. You it every time. Uh, I love cigars. It's the only vice that I have. Uh, anyways. Justification, rationalization. We started giving that money away. We stopped talking about it. And suddenly, here we are a year later, and we don't talk about it. We don't argue about it. You don't need to inform. Like it's just works, and I don't care about money anymore. Yeah, and I would say when when something I actually love giving money away. When I love something it. major comes up that we need to financially plan for, once every three or four months, once a quarter, we'll sit down and go over the budget. We did it recently. Yeah, to give you a snapshot so you know where we're at. <laughs> and there was still a little bit of anxiety. Yeah, a little bit, but it wasn't near what it used to be. It didn't erupt into cursing each other or whatever. Like it just. Yeah, we we each was, get less defensive now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we agreed more. And we Okay, so anyway, so finance has sort of been removed. And mm-hmm. then there's the rage, right? So I think in the first Which few I years of our ISS marriage. I think fixed. Maybe. <laughs> but I, I remember one time we were arguing and I, I accused you of being calm on purpose to make me more angry. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. And I'm like, let me get this straight. You're mad that I'm not more mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is great. I'm just a calm person. Nine times out of ten. Comatose is the word. Listen, I'm just not emotionally invested in anything. Blame God. I don't know. But I think through the spiritual walk of the 12-step program, I think through practicing what we preach, right? Yeah. We've both been... Um, it's, it's, it's easy to talk the talk. Walking the walk consistently over time to really develop that know. spiritual muscle is where the real work is. And I think for me, it was getting more involved in church as well as the 12-step fellowship really beginning to walk more i i don't really i don't yell and curse at you anymore yeah i mean it's really gone away we don't fight about money like our lives are really really good but it's because we focus on god and the tools yeah, and life, not each other life is still life right like you were wanting to go visit your dad in mm-hmm. chicago and i wanted you home for when my son came for his summer trip here you know life is still life there's still challenges but i think that we're both not just sober. Way to go. We don't drink and do drugs anymore. Yeah. Congratulations. It's really important that we have compassion, compromise, and that we work towards the same things, even if we don't always agree. That's okay. We're two different people. Absolutely. And so, uh, I mean, we could talk about this for hours because our lives really are way better than we deserve. But uh, I hope you got something out of this today. Yeah. And we'll, we'll bring it up again at some point. What were you going to say? Well, don't forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.